This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeff. Follow us on Twitter at Run Pod Option or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. Thank you guys for tuning in. We are back. We are now a partner of the Forgotten Five. That's forgotten5.com. Check them out. It's a lot of G5 coverage, but we're actually going to do a P5 preview today. We have the Pac-12 preview scheduled. We are actually doing this at 1 a.m. in honor of the Pac-12. <laughs> I feel like it's 1 a.m. <laughs> it, really does, it really does feel late. So tired. And like our other previews, we are going to go over some coaching hires, maybe some coaching grades and how we think a coach is doing. We're going to go over some players to watch. We have a few questions from Twitter we're going to answer as well. Games to watch as the season comes down and finally make our picks for the North and the South champion and then the overall Pac-12 champion. So, fellas, to start, let us talk about Jimmy Lake. So, Chris Peterson stepped down at Washington kind of randomly. No one really saw it coming. And the defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake, took over. Jeff, what did you hear of Jimmy Lake before this? Well, really... The most exposure I, I had to him was just the fact that he was seen as a like a hot coaching candidate, a rising star in the profession. I think their defense has been really, really strong. I don't know how long he's been at Washington, but basically that he's built elite defenses there every year. That's kind of his calling card. The first time I ever heard of him was when he spoke about not having to adjust the game plan for Washington State for like five years in a row because they had, they had Mike Leach's <laughs> number. So I thought maybe this guy's kind of like got an edge to him because Chris Peterson was a fantastic coach, but he didn't have a ton of personality or you wouldn't really see it because, you know, the kind of coverage that the Pac-12 gets. Kyle, do you think that Jimmy Lake could help elevate Washington because he does have sort of an edge? Washington was kind of considered a choir boy style team, but Jimmy Lake does seem like he's got some attitude. He wants a more freewheeling style of play. Are you excited for that? What, what that Washington might look like? Kind of. Uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, you know, we've seen kind of the same thing happen up there the last couple of years. It's It's been pretty middle of the road to me. I mean, they had that, that one really, really good year uh, with Browning as their quarterback. But they're kind of just they, – they, they remind me of six and six <laughs> so much. Um, I'd like to see an edge to them. I think that that would be fun with Washington State being right there as well. It'd be even more fun if Mike Leach was still there. But I'm a little hesitant to say that a defensive-minded head coach like that is going to have like a ton of success. Just because the Pac-12 kind of has a reputation of putting up points and it might be a, a war of attrition. I mean, other than Utah last year, people just put up points. Yeah, and as Oregon kind of shifts to a very physical style game, to have Utah, Oregon, and potentially Washington be really hard-nosed. And, and when I'm, I'm thinking, not even just offensively, but just from like a an aesthetic, 
your Iowa's or your Wisconsin or your Georgia's, like that that tough ass mentality. I, I I hope it works out for him. And and there's a small part that because Jimmy Lake is a minority head coach, I sincerely hope he does fantastically because it can help so many other people in the coaching world. The thing that makes me nervous is they brought in uh, as an offensive coordinator, John Donovan. And for many of you uh, who are listening, who maybe don't know who John Donovan was, he was the man uh, many blame for the regression of Christian Hackenberg at Penn state. (laughs) So whenever they come in and they say, listen, we want to be multiple and multiple seems to be like the, the football equivalent buzzword lately where it's just like, listen, multiple, we're going to be multiple. That combined with the, the spring practice issues that every team has and a new quarterback and what they're replacing year one, I think is going to be pretty tough, but overall I think it'd be tough not to like Jimmy Lake unless you're a Washington state fan. And I hope he keeps, I hope, I hope he does well with Washington and makes them a serious physical threat and a threat in the Pac-12. Speaking of Washington state, Mike Leach leaves, he goes to the SEC, and none other than former Hawaii head coach Nick Rolovich comes in for what Washington State was, right? There was consistency there. That's a a staple of Leach's teams. It's eight or nine years, probably the same, you know, it's the same thing over and over again, but it works and it sets you up for seven to ten wins any given year. Does the run and shoot that Nick Rolovich runs... Is that maybe something that that gets you guys fired up that maybe would let, let you watch a game until 2, 2.30 a.m. against <laughs> UCLA? <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a madman like you, Marty. I, don't, I, I can't stay up that late. It's past my bedtime. What's Washington State going to do this year at quarterback? Do they have to replace another quarterback, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm not totally sure that they have – Anybody like extremely, I think they have two or three people that went into camp with a, with a good potential to actually get that starting job. So, so there's obviously going to be that difficulty, but I think that some people underestimate the change from an air raid to a run and shoot. And because it's a staple of the damn show now, when June Jones was replaced with Chad Morris. (laughs) Oh, Chad Morris. I remember I was younger, maybe more ignorant, you know, and I thought, listen, the running gun, there's not that much of a difference in the air raid, right? Like, he should be able to come in and hit the ground running, and that was not the case. What Washington State, what they're lacking and what they're returning, right? Offensively, they're returning 36% of their production. They're 121st in the country in that regard. What Rolovich did that I thought was really, really smart is he took his Mountain West experience, and he went and grabbed the defensive coordinator of Wyoming and brought him in. For comparison, last season, Wyoming placed 33rd in defensive S&P+. Washington State finished 96th. I think long-term, and part of that's Grinch and Alex Grinch's defense and the way he recruited smaller guys and kind of working that out. Short-term, Washington State's defense is going to be really improved and allow for the run-and-gun to really take hold, and it wouldn't surprise me if within three years Washington State's back to being in the top three every year in the North. No, oh, I just found out who their quarterback might be this year. Give me a name. John Bledsoe. He's a Bledsoe? <laughs> it's Drew's son. God, I hope he's more mobile. 
He's hurt last year, it looks like. <laughs> God, I hope he's more mobile. That was hurt. That was hard to watch the end of Bledsoe's career. <laughs> I think you brought up a great point. Is I was looking over, kind of comparing and contrasting Hawaii and Washington State, and they were they were really similar. I mean, Hawaii wasn't really any good at defense either. And that'll, that'll ultimately be the difference. Um, do you guys think that Washington State's recruiting will improve? Like, that seems to be like that's the one thing that Leach kind of didn't give a shit about everywhere he's been. Well, Leach kind of goes out and gets his guys. <laughs> Kyle Kinsing, who does a lot of West Coast reporting that I've followed for a really long time, the reputation that Mike Leach has as a kind of a media darling, you know, because he's always kind of quirky, kind of saying weird things. He's always kind of got this weird aura about him. And in that way, there's a lot to like. But Nick Rolovich is just as charismatic without the dangerous tweeting or the potential to really stumble into some like conspiracy theory, not like Bigfoot, but other conspiracy theory stuff that Leach would just shoot off in a tweet. And so for that reason, I think Rolovich is going to recruit better because he's he's weird, not quirky, or whichever one of those you think is worse. He's not that. And Mike Leach, and here's another anecdote, I guess, but I went to high school with a guy who played for Mike Leach. He was a running back. He went, and by all accounts, Mike Leach was an absolute bastard to play for as a player. <laughs> And he wouldn't let you. It's not surprising. He wouldn't. He wouldn't let you forget it. And this guy's name was Shannon Woods. And Shannon Woods was the best running back on the roster. And every single week, and maybe it's what Shannon needed. You know, sometimes there's like this 4D chess thing. But he would get moved to the bottom of the depth chart every single week. And Leach said, "Listen, you have to earn it." And and I, and and on its face, I like that. That's a very Jimmy Johnson way of coaching football too. But it ended up driving Shannon almost nuts and almost out of the program altogether. So either there was mixed signals or Mike Leach was a bastard. Other players have also said Mike Leach isn't super great. The quarterbacks, all the quarterbacks love him. Every single, every single quarterback that they've interviewed speaks very, very highly of him. I think everyone else in the field, he doesn't care about. And I think on that aspect, Rolovich can succeed where Leach couldn't. And that's actually build an inclusive team. But it's a really good question. Since we're on the topic of being multiple, <laughs> Arizona State hired Zach Hill to be their play caller. And if you don't know who Zach Hill is, he spent the last four years being the play caller for Boise State. The thing that makes Boise State really good in terms of it's part of their DNA now is their play calling and their ability to use people in motion to get people open. If that means kicking Arnie back out and it freeing up a receiver or the receiver running before the snap, which not, not Canadian football style, but you know what I'm saying? I think Arizona state last year, they were not really that fun to watch. Like Jaden Daniels was fun, but the offense was not fun for me. Last year, they finished 109th in finishing drives. And Boise State, I believe, was a top 40 or top 50 in that same statistic. So, Zach Hill is probably my favorite coordinator hire. Joe Moorhead might might fight for that spot a little bit. But Zach Hill, I thought, was a fantastic hire by Arizona State. Are there any 
coordinator or head coaching hires that you guys want to talk about as something that you, th- you found odd or that you think maybe was a particularly great hire? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Zach Hill right there. It's just, it's just such a weird departure from Herm Edwards. Like, <laughs> like I, when I think of Herm Edwards, I don't think of like fun offense. So them hiring him and it's, it's just interesting to me. Um, I'd like, I'm excited to see like what that relationship and dichotomy looks like. Well, you know who they hired on defense, right? <laughs> Marvin Lewis, another another wonderful head coach. It's I think Marvin Lewis and uh, Antonio Pierce. That's another name yeah. from the from our our childhood coming <laughs> yeah. back. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think of that? I mean, I think he was on staff last year as like a you know one of those BS like special assistant to the head coach positions, and now he's a full time coach yeah he was on the sideline i want to say from like almost midway through the season as as like you said mm-hmm. like a defensive analyst slash assistant thing it's clear that i mean her what herm edwards has already done in year two last year was being eight and five he's got a winning record so far as a head coach at arizona state he already has like that nfl in right which i've only heard is something that in recruiting can really put you over the edge when you're kind of a middle-of-the-road program. To also add Marvin Lewis, and these kids they're recruiting weren't, weren't, weren't alive when the Ravens won the Super Bowl with that incredible defense, but they probably heard of every single player that was on that Ravens defense. So I think that... Yeah, that's a good point. I think that it's probably a great hire from a schematic standpoint. The dude obviously knows what he's doing defensively. I am curious what it's going to look like from a recruiting perspective and how he's going to adjust to the college game fully with full with the full control of the defense. I don't know what that looks like. I'm intrigued by it. It makes Arizona State a team that I want to watch now. Do you think that they still, like because they have Marvin Lewis, they play a game in December that they automatically just lose. <laughs> yeah, if the, if the bowl game's not in January, it's he's cooked. I mean, even if God forbid <laughs> if they make the playoffs, <laughs> then he'll definitely lose in the first round. And I had I had one other head coach, the the, the third head coach that got brought in this year, uh, Carl Durrell. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I, I had him as as sort of a, a conversation point, and and really. What I wanted to bring up, and in fact, I'm going to just, I'm flipping through my Athlon preview right now, if you guys will amuse me for one second here. And I wanted to, I just wanted to use this little, little piece of every, every team they have a, you know, scouting the Buffaloes and they have an opposing coach (laughs) speak about the team and it's anonymous, obviously. This is going to speak about Mel Tucker and then a little bit about this hire in Carl Durrell. And I think it says everything that it says more than what we could probably speak on. So I'm going to get going. Okay. These guys got absolutely punched in the face by the coaching carousel to have that much heat going after one year with Mel Tucker and have him leave so late in the cycle and to hire a failed former conference coach. This is a massive setback for the program, and it's hard to see how they can rebound from this. Mel has just started to entangle some of their problems, but they were full speed ahead, especially in recruiting. We would feel, air quotes, we would feel them out in recruiting in places Colorado had never been. 
Their problem since they joined the Pac-12 is they wanted to build a roster in Texas and pick up scraps in California. You're in the Pac-12 now. You have to reverse that. You don't have any brand identity in Texas. The previous staff started to turn that around. It was basically as wide as a net as they could cast. They had offers out on everybody. How are you going to sell Carl Durrell? How does that work? End quote. Well, that was nice. <laughs> yes. A scathing review. It from <laughs> from a from purely from I want every team to be good, right? Like except for maybe three. Like Notre Dame, don't care. Uh <clears throat> yeah, Notre, Notre, Notre Dame don't care. Um I'm trying to think uh I don't want to slander anybody Clemson. else, so I'm gonna just stop there. Clemson yeah, they've had their go. Let them let them fall back into you know Alabama too. Yeah, I'm not a big old fan of fan of Dabo, anyways. Yeah, uh, football matters. So the problem with Colorado has always been exactly like that coach laid out, in that they try to be a Texas and then kind of a California team. And and since they even when they were in the Big Twelve, it wasn't working that great. Colorado is now behind Stanford in watchability coming up this season. I, I couldn't care less. I, I don't care at all what happens to Colorado. And that's a shame because with Mel Tucker, and especially with the roster they had last year that was a lot of fun, I did care about Colorado. And they just, they dicked it. That's the only way I can say it. They, they dicked it. Do we think Clay Helton's going to get fired or what? I think that depends on how Orlando does. Can Todd Orlando save their defense? <laughs> How the turntables with Clay Helton being so hot on that hot seat last year and now coming into this year, they are betting favorites tied with Oregon for the highest chance to win the Pac-12, which is just wild. Do you think Todd or- Do you think that Todd Orlando can make a difference, Jeff? I mean, you're a little closer to that region. What were your thoughts on his tenure at Texas? Because I, I remember... He was a hot coordinator when he was at Houston, and then Texas was solid his first few years, and then it kind of fell off, right? Well, they're back. <laughs> they are back. So they finished 68th <laughs> last year in defensive SP+, which is, not, which is not horrible. But what he couldn't do was slow down Oklahoma, ultimately. Like they, and that was not just him. That's that's the team collectively. But but Texas would just get ga- – I mean, they got absolutely just slaughtered by LSU in terms of defensive. They did not play well. I think that Orlando is probably a good hire, but boy, is it weird for him to go out to say, it's weird to see him and Graham Harrell out there, honestly. And in any given year, I would normally say to Orlando, cool, that'd be a cool hire. We'll see what the defense looks like in the middle of the year when he starts, you know, getting his team going and getting the scheme ready. But they don't have that luxury with spring. We're not going to know how soon they're going to be able to report. So I think their defense is going to look very vanilla. And when you have four and five stars still all across your roster, maybe that works out. This might end up being, I'm talking myself into Todd Orlando now, but if USC is only the 50th or the 45th best defense, then they do have a significant chance to win the Pac-12, I think. And for comparison, USC was 59th last year. Switch downgraded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just, yeah. It, it seems if if it doesn't work out, if it just if it falls apart and unravels, Helton's. I don't even know if Helton's going to be gone. 
because I know we, we're doing these previews and, and listeners at home, I, we're doing these previews with the assumption that the entire season is going to happen. And even if that is the case, if nothing slows down or prevents all these games from being played, you still have schools all across the United States that are going to be losing money if they haven't already lost money. Can they even afford to fire Clay Helton? Because that was the rumor that they couldn't afford to fire him last year and bring in a new coach. I, I can't imagine it's gotten any better financially with, with what's going on. Especially with California schools also saying, hey, you know, we're going to be going full full work from home mode. Yeah, the they're fall. given the option for like almost every almost like lab is still on site, but everything else should still be remote. I believe is the last thing I saw or something there about. Yeah. That's not going to help out bringing more money into the, into the, uh, university. No, I can't, I can't, I, I don't think so either. And really we can speak about chip Kelly if you want to, because that was kind of a hot topic on, is he going to finally turn it around? But I'd like to pair that together with something Chip Kelly and Kevin Sumlin, both Ooh. both are probably in a normal year in a hot seat. And Chip Kelly previously, it was believed he had a longer leash, but then UCLA went and changed their athletic director. So who really knows? They're about to lose money because Under Armour just canceled their contract with them. So that's not going to help. And Sumlin has seriously underperformed at Arizona, considering he got one of the most electric athletes in Khalil Tate, he inherited him and somehow he was worse than when Richrod had him. So I'm kind of curious what you guys think of assuming that money's not an issue out of Chip Kelly and Kevin Sumlin, who do you think is more likely to not still be at their position at the end of the year? Um, I would say Chip Kelly. A, he kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes. I don't know. I feel like his his seat is perpetually hot. Like, I think that I, that honestly, I just think that Kevin Sumlin will have a longer leash there. Probably my answer. I think UCLA with the Chip Kelly hire kind of kind of played themselves and and beating their chest like Houston did a few years back. As you know, what this is this is our hire. We're on our way. We're going to be a great program again. And Chip Kelly might be getting in the way of that. Someone, as you said, is I think he does have a longer leash despite poor results overall as a coach. And with the Pac-12 now ramping up and looking like it's a more stable and a better conference, I can't imagine it's going to get easier for either of them. Jeff, what do you think? I agree with you. I think in a normal year... You could see them both gone if they don't have good, you know, good seasons. But with just how UCLA is financially, I think I read an article before everything hit with COVID that they were really just in the gutter financially. And this Under Armour news sounds like it's getting even worse. So I don't know. Do they just keep biting the bullet and keep him for another year? Or if, even if things don't go well, I, I don't think. I mean, Arizona is obviously, a, you know, a smaller institution, but I it sounds like maybe they're doing better. So I don't know. It's tough to say. I, I'm really just, I'm disappointed in both. I really thought Kelly was going to take off at UCLA. And I remember watching a game last year and like Chip Kelly's offense, I 
you know, watching it at Oregon was so exciting. And I remember watching a UCLA game last year and they had like three tight ends on the field the whole game. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. On, on one hand, it seems like <laughs> he's willing to adapt to his roster, which is something you kind of want to see. But when you have a reputation, when you've been so successful with a different system, that's tough to see. And, and I'm, yeah, I think, I think what happened to Chip Kelly is he put his, he hitched his trailer to Dorian Thompson Robinson, and that hasn't panned out. And it had a chance to, because DTR is a very insane, insanely gifted athlete, but it just hasn't worked out yet. And that's actually a perfect segue if you guys want to di- uh, dive into the player spotlight and what we're going to watch out for this season. Let's do it. I'm going to start with a Colorado player to kind of, I love you Colorado people, to get you out of the way. I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> so, LaVisca Chenault's gone. His younger brother's actually still there, which is interesting. But I wanted to focus on KD Nixon as a receiver who, he's the leading producer in the passing game that's returned from last year. He had 35 catches for 465 yards, which kind of shows you how much they lost on offense. He is an insanely gifted athlete as well. He can line up at running back. He is a quick twitch type of receiver. So whether it's checkdowns, jet sweeps, you know, short routes, he can hit it deep. He's a really, really great athlete. And with so many question marks at quarterback and kind of what that team's going to look like in general, Katie Nixon is probably going to be He's the closest thing to their Rondell Moore that I can think of. He's a very just insane athlete that is going to be maybe the most exciting thing to watch about Colorado all season. Kyle? Well, I think we all know where I'm going to go with this. (laughs) I love me some Max Borgie. He's basically – he's Christian McCaffrey. He's Chris McCaffrey light. I mean, looking at his stats last year, he had – uh, 817 yards rushing, 597 yards receiving, 11 rushing touchdowns, five receiving touchdowns. The offense is going to go through him, and he's real exciting to watch. Like I could definitely see him being drafted in the NFL when he's when he's able to be playing in that kind of Christian McCaffrey mold. Yeah, I, I called him. I think great value christian mccaffrey before (laughs) where he's kind of store he's store brand c mac and he has a little bit of and maybe it's that mccaffrey had the same thing but he feels like he has a little bit of darren sproles in him because of his size and his quick feet but he's insane to watch i loved him yeah he's just super fun i'll keep it in the north and i i thought about talking about a quarterback since their last quarterback just got drafted but um kayvon thibodeau from oregon just a a monster. I think he was a five-star, like maybe the, the top-rated player last year. And he's like a big edge rusher. He had 14 tackles for loss, nine sacks. Um, I think he's going to explode and be even better this year. I love, I love big ed- ed- big edge rushers. They just they get me going. Yeah, Thibodeau's insane. He was he's actually a plug to the Hardcore College Football podcast. We talked about him pretty in depth when we discussed making a recipe for success for a team is really good. I'm going to stay in Oregon since you kind of started it. And I wanted to talk about this actually kind of works into a question too. Hold on. Let me see here. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. 
So with, <laughs> <laughs> we have a few listener questions, and I'm trying to remember where they are. So please, please forgive me. So Oregon, you're toying with my emotions over here. I'm just pulling you left and right. So yes, and so no. So this and so that. So we spoke about their shift physically, Oregon's, and how they're more of a a smash mouth team. They want to be really physical up front. They return one offensive lineman from last year. So I believe we decided the pronunciation was Tyler Schuff. I cannot remember. So please forgive me if that's wrong, but they have a quarterback that's coming in Tyler Schuff that looks to be really good. He's the heir apparent, but he's not going to have a whole lot of help up front in terms of experience, unless you count what some people are calling a sleeper Heisman pick and left tackle Panay Suell. He is a top five draft pick. He's a fantastic offensive lineman. He is a player to watch along with the quarterback. And I want to go ahead and give a shout out with that new offensive line. I'm curious to see what the CJ Verdell is going to do this year. And their other running backs, Travis Dye and Cyrus Habibi Lakio. It's a great name. Dude, it rolls too. It rolls <laughs> off the tongue. And I'll be honest with you, Jeff, there are a few players that I left out of this because they had very Hawaiian or uh, not Hawaiian, but Pacific Island. Thank you. Very Pacific Island last <laughs> names that I just didn't want to, I didn't want to try to pronounce on the show and I feel bad, but I'm just like, I just don't want to disrespect it. I'm going to go to the other side of the artist formerly known as the Civil War and go to Oregon State real quick. So defensive coordinator Tim Tibisar, they were really improved last year defensively. They went from 94th to a top 60 defense. Two players that I wanted to point out was outside linebacker Hamilcar Rashid Jr., who led the nation in tackles for loss last year and placed third in sacks last year. He's another guy like Thibodeau that is going to be a lot of fun to see him chasing quarterbacks. And an inside linebacker, Omar Spates, who was a freshman All-American, those two collectively are going to be a, a force, I think. And in terms of defense, I'm going to go back to Athlon for a second. Uh, an anonymous coach said, quote, they're quietly building a quality roster. The best way to describe it is they're becoming the Pac-12 Kansas State. And who doesn't love that? <laughs> no one likes playing Kansas State. If that's what you got to do, you got to do it. Kyle, give me another player. Your boy, Keaton Slovis. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what his uh, what his sophomore <laughs> season looks like. I you know I'm 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 curious to see to see what happens. Maybe they can go go down to their 85th quarterback again, like they did last year. That was that was fun. But no, I, I'd like to see Slovis come back and have another solid season. Uh, I'm not the biggest USC fan in the world, but um, I think that working with Graham Harrell isn't going to do anything bad for him. So yeah, we'll see what Keaton Slovis does. And pairing with your Slovis suggestion, their receivers, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Drake London, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy, even if Slovis does go down, and I think this is probably what helped Slovis so much, besides the system, but they just have five-star receivers all over the place, and now they have a system to use them. And that's well, and last be, year they had Pitt, Pittman, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Like to, to think that they, that they lost Pittman and they still are returning their ninth – I'm sorry – they're returning 77% of production still. 
which is a ton, especially when that offense is all about timing and you're missing spring practice, that rapport is already there, baby. Like they're ready to go and pull the trigger week one. Jeff, who you got? Players to watch. I actually uh, was going to talk about a, an offense, but I think they're is, – is Utah one of your questions from a, from a listener? You know, it is, but let's the, go ahead and do your Utah then, and I'll bring up the question. Let's do that. So I was just curious uh, who was going to play quarterback for Utah, and are they any good? Because I don't think their quarterback play has been – I remember it's been solid, but they've really leaned on – just an awesome defense the last few years. So, well, they had Jake ben- Jake Bentley transfer there. Ah, yes. God, honestly, the transfer portal is so annoying because there's so much player <laughs> movement now that I, f- I forgot he even transferred there until I was writing these previews. So, yeah, Jake Bentley looks to be the starting quarterback next year. That could be big. I think it could be big too. So, one of the questions, kind of that you alluded to, Jeff. We got a question from at BK underscore TSM, and he asked, was Utah an aberration last year? And he put in parentheses bowl game beating, but I'm going to include Oregon beating too. Or will they progress? And Jake Bentley is a big part of this, but they lost a lot of production offensive and defensively. They lost a ton of starters. And I think the way they built that program And just looking at the nine seasons that Utah's been in the Pac-12, they've won double-digit games twice. So, historically in the Pac-12, which is only nine years, I would say it's probably not going to be progress, especially year one. It really depends on if they're going to let Bentley... Bentley's going to be a stopgap no matter what, right? Because he's got one year of eligibility left, I believe. It's built to sustain eight win seasons, the Utah team is. And that way, they're very predictably boring, despite being fun teams to watch, especially on the defensive side. I think what benefits Utah isn't that they're going to progress as much as I don't think Arizona, Colorado, and UCLA are going to threaten them. So Mm -hmm. in that regard, they're really only going to have Arizona State and the trajectory they're on and USC if that maintains but again it could it could just turn over on a dime there too I think it's going to be my answer my long answer here is going to be progress or they're going to progress as a program but I think it's going to be mostly because they're built to last like a Ford uh, not not a sponsor of the show and <laughs> not yet call us uh they're built they're built to last and in that regard they'll always be good. And if Jake Bentley does well there, then maybe that's more attractive to other transfer quarterbacks or younger quarterbacks and maybe you can become an identity you you can cha- transform your identity from being only a defensive team to a defensive team that can really really throw or run the ball around besides just being hard-nosed. That's what I feel like Utah's whole that's what I think about when I think of Utah. Think of hashtag grit. Yeah. Yeah, very, very. Just gritty. Grittier than Brigham Young. <laughs> it's just like they're the grittiest team in the state. 
since we talked about UCLA a little bit, and I talked about Dorian Thompson Robinson, and even though I said that it's his fault, uh, he still is a player to watch for me. The problem is he's had a 59% completion percentage his entire career, like over the course of it. And that, that can't continue in a Chip Kelly offense or in a team that wants to actually threaten for a division title. So he is a player to watch. And also running back to Beatrick Felton, who is very good, very fun to watch. They may be some of the only real playmakers on that offense this coming season. Kyle, do you have anyone else? Mm, no, I think I'm. I think I'm good. Okay, I've got a few more. Jeff, do you have any? No, give us give us the rest of your picks. Okay, all right. So we're about to get into to Cal territory here. Mm. Chase Garvers, right? That's. I think he is probably the second second best quarterback in the Pac-12 this year, and if he can stay healthy. He's been 13-2 and as a starter. He was 7-0 last year as a starter. Their only struggle was without him. So if he stays healthy, that's obviously something to watch out for. On defense, despite losing some stuff, losing some stuff, despite losing some key players, linebackers Kwani Ding and Cameron Good, they'll be the headliners. Good finished with 9.5 sacks last year. Ding finished with 119 tackles. They both were leaders all across the Pac-12 defensively. I think that's going to be really interesting. And there's only three expected underclassmen starting. So this might really be the year for Cal this year and next year to to really kind of have the exclamation mark. To be fair, they did lose some, uh, they did lose some equipment too. So <laughs> just trying to clarify your statement. Make, you were correct. They lost all of it. When they come out in their Russell Athletic jerseys next year. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so, so we actually have another question from at BK underscore TSN. He was on fire with these. So thank, thank you again for your questions. He's a dedicated listener, Jeff. Please, please don't be disrespectful. <laughs> all right. So there's actually two questions in this. And I'm going to take it. Feel free to jump in with any questions or anything you want to add on top of it. He asked, will Cal be able to sustain their defensive dominance? How has Wilcox been able to transform Cal's once pathetic defense? His recruiting classes aren't highly rated as well. So let's go, let's dig into Wilcox here. He was the defensive coordinator at Boise State from 2006 to 2009. Those defenses were not only great, Not only were they sound, but they punched well above their weight consistently. After that, he had a few weird stops. Tennessee, Washington, USC. Not great. And and I think that was, uh, God, who would have been 2010 Tennessee? Dennis Dooley? Um, Derek Dooley? Derek Dooley. I was there. Okay. Yes. So he went went, went with Dooley. He was with Sarkeesian, I think, at Washington and USC. Yeah. I had no idea. So in 2016, he became the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. They finished 11 and three. What he's done is probably more reflective from those bookend schools, Boise State and Wisconsin. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is he's able to build a strong competitive team despite not being the best recruiter. Scratch that. 
not being in a program that recruits the best players, even in his own state, but definitely in the country. Cal's defense. So we're going to go as, but we're going to do pre-Wilcox and after Wilcox. In 2016, Cal's defense, 107th in defensive SP, 120th rushing defense, 84th passing defense, and they were 117th in defensive FEI. Post-Wilcox, so just one year removed from that awful season, Wilcox's first year in 2017, they went to the 82nd defense, 64th against the rush, 58th against the pass. In 2018, they were 13th defense. They had the 13th best defense, 29th rushing, 10th passing. And then last year, let's see where they were at. They had the 45th overall best defense, and part of that was because of how atrocious the offense was. So I'm, I'm going to give him a gimme on that. I started looking into Wilcox and what he, what he preaches and how he recruits and what kind of player he looks for. And the thing to remember is, just because the recruiting star isn't high doesn't mean they're not good. We all know this inherently, right? Like three stars. There's plenty of three stars in the NFL, for instance. What he seems to do better than a lot of coaches, and, and Dave Aranda does the same thing, is he runs a defense that's based off zone matching instead of man matching. And what that allows you to do is 10 out of your 11 defenders can mark a zone. So when he's recruiting players, he maybe has a choice between the 5th best linebacker and the 10th best linebacker. But if that 10th best linebacker can also double as a defensive end or as a safety, he's going to take the 10th best linebacker. So the versatility is the name of the game, which is why Cal, I don't think, slips going into this year and why recruiting when you're such a good defensive player. Look no further than Gary Patterson. He, he doesn't have an insane recruiting class every year either. It's all about developing and getting players that can fit into your defense, which Wilcox has done a really, really good job. Any questions? Yeah, the other thing, not really a question, but a comment. Um, I was looking over their recruiting rankings while you were talking about it. Last year, they signed 26 players and 25 were three stars. So it really it fits. But another thing to think about, too, is California is a great producer of talent. So you get into that argument with people like, oh, you know, they only recruit this. And it's like, well, yeah, the talent pool they're recruiting from is still really good. So, yeah, those three stars in California might be like a four star in North Carolina or Michigan. So it seems like he has a really good system in place. And, yeah, I think they're going to continue to stay where they've been. And I'm going to finish this here with the last user question. User question. The last listener question from BK underscore TSM. Yes, you all know users. He just wants us to speak about the Washington quarterback position and the quarterback situation. So the news on this changed a few weeks ago. Eason's gone, and Jacob Sermon and Dylan Morris appeared to be the two quarterbacks that were going to battle for this job. And then out of nowhere, from the top rope, quarterback Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State transferred to Washington. A little bit about Kevin Thompson. He was third last year in Walter Payton voting. 
He threw for 3,200 yards, 27 touchdowns. He ran for 619 yards and ran for 12 touchdowns. He was a third-team AP All-American in the FCS last year. And Sacramento State, if I remember correctly, also got into the playoffs and did pretty good there, if I'm remembering right. So I did my homework to answer this question. I watched an All-22 of Kevin Thompson when they played Arizona State last year. And then I also watched some highlights from the playoffs and the, the games building up. I don't think there's any way that Kevin Thompson doesn't win this job. So let me let me settle that here. Kevin Thompson, he's going to be the starter for Washington. So what are you going to get out of Kevin Thompson? Think of Jaden Daniels for Arizona State. And now think if Jaden Daniels, what he's going to look like as a junior or a senior as a quarterback. That's what Kevin Thompson is. He's got insane speed. He makes quick reads. He's a good to great passer. He's got a really quick release. He looked, he didn't look out of place against Arizona State, despite them being outmanned when he was at Sacramento State. The players at Washington that he's going to be surrounded with, I think he's going to be maybe one of the more fun quarterbacks to watch this year in the country because he can do it all, man. He's he, think uh, Jane Daniels is a good one. Think ooh, ninety percent of the last year Dennis Dixon played before when he almost won the Heisman. He's ninety percent of that. He is <clears throat> really, really, really good, and he is a lot of fun to watch when he's running the ball too. It depends if he's going to have happen to him what happened to Christian Hackenberg, and God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, that. That pairing is going to be really interesting, and just looking over Washington's returning production, not not a whole lot. They've, they're losing, I think, three out of their top five receivers from last year, including their – they had a really good tight end that left early for the draft. Not sure about the offensive line, but it's going to be just really interesting. You know, we've talked about this a lot with no spring ball and, you know, just the players gelling and a new offensive staff, like what that looks like. So, But it'll be fun. Washington's going to be a weird question mark this year. I don't. I mean, I don't think they have a chance at the Pac-12 championship, personally. But if Thompson is playing and if he's healthy all year, they have a good chance of ruining someone's day because he has that. He looks to have that takeover, that asterisk. That God, I'm throwing so much praise on this dude. If he doesn't kick ass, I'm going to look like an absolute <laughs> idiot. But he is. He is excellent. He's really, really good. So so let, let's have that wrap up our players. I have another question from Twitter. One more. It's the last one, I promise. Before we get into key games, do you want to do the games first, gentlemen, or do you want to do this question first? Question away. At <laughs> Twitter user, at JohnHam04669252. Really rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Good God. John, please, please change your at, dude. There's gotta be, <laughs> there's gotta be something better. He asked, I guess it, it doesn't sound like a question, but it kind of sounds like he was thinking to himself too. I wonder if the league should play more games on Thursday and Friday to help with image issues. So my question to you, Kyle and Jeff, first is, if the Pac-12 played more Thursday and Friday games, personally, would you watch more? I don't think I can. It's a school night. Uh, they're going to gonna be playing in prime day. time. In this scenario, they're playing in prime time. Like 7 p.m. or something? Yeah. Yeah, your 7.30 kick. 
it was a 730 kick. I could see myself doing it more, but that also requires that the games are starting at like 4 o'clock, like out west, before people get out of work. So let's say yeah. that like we're in a, in a normal, yeah, normal situation. Yeah, if it's 7.30 Eastern, that means it's going to be 4.30 Pacific time. So if your Oregon team or your Washington team located in Seattle, you're starting your game during rush hour. Yikes. And just trying to get people into the into the stadium. Jeff, I'm assuming your answer is yes, because you're always down for college football. My response is going to be a little controversial. I really don't have a problem with their time. Just the quality of their play last year was not good. I mean, you had only two teams with that won more than 10 games. And, I mean, these other records, 8-5, and 8-5, five, 5-7, and 4-8, 8-5, five, 5-7. And and five, five like, it was just a lot of average to below average quality play. So, Jeff, that's all I watch. Get some 10-win teams in there. I'll watch whenever they want. I'll pull a Marty and watch it till 4 in the morning on, on a Saturday night. All I watch is below average football. <laughs> Listen, wonderful. You, you can't appreciate what you have until you appreciate what you don't have. That's true. So talk to me in three months. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't have a season, they're going to be begging for Colorado, <laughs> Oregon state. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> so my issue isn't with Thursday and Friday help their image issues. Maybe. But you're also, I'm taking it personal, that you're also affecting those smaller teams, that those are the nights that it seems, that's your Maction nights, right? That's their time. The logistics of it, I wouldn't want to go to a game at 9.30 a.m., but I think the answer for some of them, from the Pac-12 as a whole, for exposure, is have a morning kickoff so that you're the 12 o'clock game. Because I will watch Arizona State versus Utah before I'd rather watch before I'd watch Minnesota against Iowa, for instance, or Illinois. God, Illinois always seems to be the noon game. Or like Boston College, NC State. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like name it. You know, your ACC just spare team, or like Maryland against Penn State. And they're going to get rung up by fifty points. If the Pac-12 wants to make an impact, play during Saturday. What makes you change the channel on a game? The game's either bad or it looks like there's a better game on. Mm-hmm. That can't mm-hmm. happen when it's only Pac-12 after dark. Your choices are Mountain West and Pac-12. Done. But if you have a 3 o'clock or a 12 o'clock game and you're competing with Florida State and Boston College, like you spoke about earlier, or, or Syracuse and NC State, you know, like the teams or that Tennessee and anybody, yeah, t- yeah, yeah, Tennessee. Who wants, yeah, Tennessee and Vanderbilt are playing the rivalry game, maybe, but I'd still rather watch most Pac 12 games personally. So I think that if you're going to compete and be mentioned with the other teams, play when they play. It sucks, time zones are dumb, but let's. Let's not dig into that as much as it is you need to be in the conversation. And you're not. Entire sports centers are going on when your games are on. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. The late night sports centers are going on. They're trying to update you on the games. The games are ending after that, after the, the sports center is over. Yeah, it's, it's, 
And so, right. So you wake up and you check the score because you, th- you, th- you saw a pretty good first half, but damn, I've been up, you know, X amount of hours and it's going to be a raw deal for your West coast viewer, maybe, or your West coast game attendee, but might not be a problem this year, but, but a nine thirty game, that's how you solve it, man. I, I don't know how to, you're already, I think you kind of you use it as a bit almost, you, you know, you're, you celebrate the fact that you're playing, you're playing football like in the morning. And, you know, you people would people would come out and tailgate that thing like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the 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 brunch tailgates? Oh, my God. Just just uh, it's a it's a 13 foot trailer that's just got nothing but fried eggs on it. Just like cooking brisket uh, briskets, maybe Bacon not a big... everywhere. That sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think morning games could be uh, like you said, I think that's. There's a bigger market, I think, for that too, when it comes to the the teams themselves. But to the TV, to the the powers that be that are ESPN and everything else, they don't care. I mean, you're you're seeing like Life Alert commercials at twelve thirty. You know, like there's they don't they don't care mm-hmm. because that's not valuable time for them. You're just filling it. Make them make that tough decision by being an afternoon game, and I promise. I promise that a Washington-Utah game will be more important to at least 30 or 40% of fans that otherwise would be watching Northwestern and somebody. Arkansas, Arkansas and Tennessee. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Like, it's just, there's... The, the obvious thing here is that I know that, it's, that it supports the East Coast bias, you know, having them play in the morning. But it's it's less that and more the fact that you're now not alienating half the half the uh, half the college football fan fandom because now you're playing right alongside everybody else. You're opening yeah, up the entire country. You're not you're not because uh, let's let's face it. It's eleven o'clock on a on a Saturday night after watching football all day. I'm probably going to go to bed because I'm tired. Especially if your team finished the game at 11 and you're spent, you know, you had a big win or a big loss. I'm already writing notes for our show at 11 p.m. And I guarantee you, I know for a fact that there are coaches polls and even media polls that are being submitted before a lot of those Pac-12 games are even done on the after dark slot. That's a guarantee. There's no way, you know, there's, there's... I say there's no way. There's no way Nick Saban's <laughs> turning in his his sheet at two a.m. or that he's been waiting for the next day. He's turning it in when he's done with his game. But like, yeah, just embrace your weirdness. It doesn't mean you have to make people struggle to watch thirteen hours of college football. People with <clears throat> me with kids. <laughs> I have I have a, a beautiful, loving, and patient wife that knows on college football Saturday, like I am tuned in. Let me have it, and she does, and that's super super cool. But not everybody has that scenario. You have, you know, kids' recital to go to on a Saturday, or you have kids' soccer practice, or you know, and that's just the kid part of it. But that's a huge, a huge base of your 
crowd, your audience that you're aiming for. And if you can't get that audience and your audience is instead 15 to 25 year olds who are already going to be up until 1 or 2 a.m., it's also not beneficial money wise because that's not a money demographic. That demographic doesn't spend money to go to games or spend money on merchandise. If you're trying to make these brands something, you need to adjust when you play. And Thursday and Friday ain't it. It's playing on Saturday with everybody else and showing why you're the most exciting or you're the best conference. Whatever you want to be, you've got to go head to head. It'd be like me complaining about not having enough Twitter followers because I'm on Reddit instead of Twitter. Like it's a whole different, the different night doesn't matter. You've got to compete in the arena that you're in. And as far as prestige for a conference goes, the Pac-12 doesn't get a chance because like you said, Kyle, there's people that are asleep. They're not going to stay up. Mm-hmm. And counting on the 25 year olds to, I, I didn't have any money when I was 25. How was that? How would I spend money on going to a game? You know? And assuming that they're also going to be drinking, it's not like they're going to talk about your brand or the conference because you're just in the background or you're on at the bar as they're, you know, 10 IPAs in. Like, it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> it's background noise at listen, that point. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I love the, the hashtag Pac-12 after dark. I love that whole bit. Our listener, Tell, who I've mentioned two shows in a row now, we're always tweeting each other way late, way later than we should have to be up. Why why subject college football fans to it? I love college football, and and 50% of the time, I can't do it. I got to call it. I got to wake up in the morning. I got to make breakfast. You know, I can't. I can't. I'm making a decision for me. I didn't do that against Washington. I didn't do that when Washington State and UCLA played. And, and, I'm, and you're and, still paying for and it. And I'm still paying for it. I, I don't, I don't want to have to make that decision when it comes to college football. So great question, John Ham. Uh, appreciate that. <laughs> Got us fired up. I hope. I hope. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Now ready to run through a wall. So let's. <laughs> I only have a few games pointed out as, as kind of key games for me because honestly, I know that some of these are going to be at eleven o'clock, so I can't watch them. USC, Alabama, September fifth. The last time these teams played was in twenty sixteen, and Alabama won fifty two to six. It was not not pretty. I'm not going to say USC is going to win, but this game's going to be a lot of fun, I think. A whole lot of fun. Then it should be a good barometer of where USC is. For sure. And just how prepared Graham Harrell can be, because he's still a young coach. Like, he's not been doing it very long. And he's going up against the best. It's going to be really, really interesting. I'm going to go with what I think is a preview of the Pac-12 championship. November 7th. USC at Oregon. I mean, and honestly, that could that could knock a, knock a team out of out of the uh, Pac-12 championship. You know, what date is USC Oregon? I'm sorry. Oh, November seventh. Okay. Oh, and it's not like super super late. So whoever loses theoretically could try to try to save face, but that's really interesting. Jeff. So, I just I love the start of their season. You know, knock on what everything goes as planned. Uh, Oregon leads off with North Dakota State, which is going to be a blast. And then the next week, they play Ohio State. Again, prefacing that with if everything goes to plan, these teams can play. 
I just think having the, the week two like Titanic matchups are awesome. So I just I'm ecstatic to see that game because Oregon's got a really strong defense. Ohio State's offense is going to be extremely high powered again. So it's, it's just going to be I think it's going to be an awesome game. Here's a little question for both of you. There's USC and Bama, and there's Ohio State and Oregon. If you had to pick either USC and Bama making the playoffs or Ohio State and Oregon making the playoff, what do you think is more likely this season? Mm, more likely, probably USC and Bama. What I'd want more would be Oregon and Ohio State. Okay, and Jeff? I agree with that. Like so that. USC, Bama, you think, are more likely to be playoff teams collectively than Ohio State and Oregon. Yep. Oh, God, it's an ooh, a Keaton Slovis effect, dude. I love it. All right, November 28th, <laughs> November 28th, Arizona State at Arizona. I mentioned earlier how I think this could be, in a normal year, a year that someone would get fired if he lost this game. But I want to take kind of a more optimistic point of view here. I think both these coaches are going to be back the year after, but being at the end of the year and having the full the full year to kind of feel out your team, new offenses, new defenses, you should be clicking by this game. And I'm interested to see just how, either how far and away better Arizona State is, or if Arizona's got a little something to them. So it, it's always kind of a fun rivalry I like to watch anyways, but it hasn't been a whole lot of fun to watch. I think this year could be different. I hope it's different. Next game that I got, I'm sure that you have circled on your calendar, Marty. November 14th, Colorado at Stanford. God almighty. (laughs) I want you to watch that game. (laughs) If that game is not on at 10 10 p.m., I will watch it. I'll, I'll make that promise now. God, that's gonna be that's gonna be the twelfth and eleventh worst teams in the Pac-12 this year. I'm <laughs> confident of it. It's gonna be. Oh my goodness, uh, Jeff. Do you have another game? Yeah, one that uh, I'm just really interested to see. We talked about them, how Cal does this year, and I believe they beat Stanford for the first time last year. I'm trying to think, when was the last time they beat them? Um, they play. Uh, November 21st, you know, see if Stanford's going to try to to flip the script on them where Cal can beat them again. It was a nine-game losing streak that Cal had. Yeah, that's huge. And this year, too, Cal's going at USC. That's going to be a really good game. They host Oregon, so it maybe gives them an edge, too. But talk about just a back-to-back. Really? Oh, God. Listen to these four games in a row. They host Utah. They're at Washington State. And maybe Washington State doesn't end up being good. But I promise it'll be an interesting game at least. Then they go at USC, then home against Oregon. Four weeks in a row. That is a a rough one. And they have a little bit of a break at Oregon State. But Corvallis Corvallis gets popping, so who knows. Then Washington, then at Arizona State. God, they have a tough schedule. And they play TCU at a conference. Yeah, they might they might be better this year and have a worse record. <laughs> God, how disappointing, man. Oh man. That's gonna make this portion of the program a little bit difficult. So we're gonna make our predictions. 
for the Pac-12 North, South, and the Pac-12 Champion. All right. I've already tipped my hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was. You said USC and Oregon, right? Yep. Oregon wins the North. South won by USC. And USC wins the title. Oh, boy. Reclaiming wow. their, their glory from... From the mid two thousands, it's it's a perfect year for Reggie Bush to be re <laughs> re honored by USC now that he's back and they've they've officially acknowledged that he exists. He's uncancelled. Uncancelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and Clay Helton still gets fired after that. <laughs> Clay Helton gets blown out in a bowl game and they goes to the NFL. Gets hired. As the Raiders' offensive coordinator. USC hires Chad Morris. God. So my pick is not fun or sexy, but, you know, that's what happens when you visit Mormon land, uh, taking Oregon in the north, Utah in the south again. Wow. But Oregon wins in the championship. They're too high-powered. God, that'd be rough. Two years in a row for Utah to go to the championship and then get just drubbed by Oregon. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I have USC as my South champion, like Kyle, and I have Cal winning the North. I'm a true believer what? this year. Yeah, Cal, Cal winning the North, <laughs> brother. Uh, and and the only reason that this was kind of on the edge was uh, one, I didn't see the Cal schedule till just now, and I already have it written down, so I don't want to back out. <laughs> but Oregon, I, I really think Oregon is going to be good. I think they're going to really struggle with four of those five starters in the offensive line being new. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the difference. Yeah. I I do also think Mm -hmm. that Ohio State is going to drub them. And I think that's going to shake them for the year. So I'm going Cal in the north, USC in the south. And I'm going to go ahead and say the Trojans are also going to win the Pac-12, which please, Graham Harrell, please don't. Please make it so. <laughs> question, spin-off question. If they win the South, does Graham Harrell get a head coaching job? I... Like a quality one? Not a, like, like so. Yeah. Okay, so G5 or P5? Let me answer that. God, he'd have to be... Some, some P5 team is stupid enough. I, I think Graham Harrell's <laughs> talented, but that's way too early in the coach's career, man, I think. Yeah. I think he absolutely could get a G5 coaching job. And I think there's quite a few different takers. Say Holgerson just bombs it. Houston would be a natural place for him to go to. If Latrell gets another job, going back to North Texas is normal too. If for some reason, if Texas Tech had turnover, he would be, they would parade him in, in Lubbock. So yeah, I think, I think there's a chance. God, it, Let's let's see how they win this conference. If the conference is doo doo and they win with eight games to get into the championship, maybe not. But if they go eleven and one and then twelve and one after the the Pac twelve championship game, I think there's a chance that Graham Harrell gets a head coaching job. Absolutely. Kyle, what do you think? Uh, I want him to. No, actually, you know what? I I, I think he's going to stay there. I don't think he gets a job after this year. Question: Do they just fire Helton and make Graham Harrell the head coach? That maybe. Oh goodness! Can you imagine? Just, I mean, he's young. He's the heir apparent. Oh god, he's a young dude. So if he stuck around, he'd be there for a long time. If you he's think not, he's, he's, 
He's not just the heir apparent. He's the herald parent. He's the heir rate apparent. The other uh, thing to think about is his salary. Um, he's probably making what? A million, maybe a million and a half per year. So if he does well, they'll probably just bump him up. Keep him there for a couple more years. And save money. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking here. Okay, UNLV. God, UNLV talked to Graham Harrell last year before they made their hire. His multi-year extension. Let me see if I can find some information before we get out of here. Okay, you're not going to give me numbers, huh? It's a private school, isn't it? Of course there's not going to be numbers. Mm -hmm. They don't have to share it. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, so we have no idea. But I'd imagine a million's probably good. God, he looks looks so young, man. He still looks like a baby. He looks like a player still. (laughs) In this video I'm looking at. Okay. Gentlemen, any other Pac-12 thoughts before we, we bounce out of here? No. I didn't hear anything, so I'm going to go ahead and say hashtag, hashtag Pac-12 before lunch. I think that could be be a brilliant move, as we discussed. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen. Oh, no, you got to name it the lunch pack. Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, the luncheon crunch? No. Lunch the brunch pack. The brunch pack oh. could totally work. Yeah. Uh, Let's get Larry oh. Scott on the phone. God, Larry Scott, call us. Thank you guys for listening. Ed Run Pod Option on Twitter. If you've made it this far, please subscribe. We'd love to have you. If you'd like to go a step further and you have iTunes or an Apple phone, throw us a review. It helps us out. It helps more people hear us, see our podcast. Kyle and Jeff. Say goodbye. Bye bye. Everybody have a great fourth and enjoy your PBRs. God, you know what? <laughs> you know what? There's fireworks going on right now, and it's it's gonna absolutely <laughs> destroy this recording. I hope it ends up making it okay. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy, and I am Corwin Heller, and we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.